Welcome to the Faith Life Fellowship Podcast with Dr. Scott Forrest. In today's message, Dr. Forrest presents his teaching, Why Our Words Matter. All right, praise the Lord. This morning I want to talk to you about why our words matter. Why our words matter. You know, the words that we speak are more powerful than most people realize. Why it's important to say what God says about our life and circumstances. So this morning, I'm going to share three stories from the scriptures, which illustrate the power of God and the power that our words have when they line up with God's word, when they line up with God's will. And the three stories are, number one, the blessing of Isaac, number two, the decree of King Darius, and number three, the challenge of Jeremiah. And we are going to get into a bit of science at the end. So for you science geeks, hold on, you're going to enjoy it. All right, let's begin with number one, the blessing of Isaac. Genesis chapter 27, verse 1 through 4. Now it came to pass when Isaac was old and his eyes were so dim that he could not see, that he called Esau his older son and said to him, My son. And he answered him, Here I am. Here I am. Then he said, Behold now, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now, therefore, please take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me and make me savory food such as I love and bring it to me that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. So get the picture. Isaac is getting old. He can't see anymore, and he's not really sure when he's going to leave this earth. So he tells Esau, his oldest and his favorite son, I want you to take your bow and go out in the field and find me some venison and bring it back and fix it the way you know I like it. And when you do, I'm going to bless you before I die. Now, remember, the oldest son was entitled to the birthright and to the first and best blessing. And at this time, Jacob, his younger brother, had already swindled him out of his birthright. So Rebekah overhears Isaac as he asks Esau to hunt and go get him some venison. She knows that he's about ready to pronounce a blessing on Esau, but she wants the blessing pronounced on her favorite son, Jacob. So she hatches an elaborate plot to deceive Isaac by killing a couple of kid goats, preparing the meat so that it tasted like deer meat. I still don't understand how she was able to do that. And putting the skin on the hands of Jacob, and on the neck of Jacob, so that he was hairy and smelly like his older brother. She tells Jacob to take the goat's meat to his father and pretend to be Esau, his older brother. And if you read the in-between scriptures, which we're not going to read, Isaac is suspicious at first, but Jacob is able to pass himself off as his older brother Esau. Let's keep reading Genesis 27, verse 26. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come near now and kiss me, my son. He thinks it's Esau. And he came near and kissed him, and he smelled the smell of his clothing and blessed him and said, Surely the smell of my son is like the smell of a field which the Lord has blessed. Can you imagine? Son, you smell like a freshly mowed lawn, and I love it. Therefore, may God give you of the dew of heaven, of the fatness of the earth, and plenty of grain and wine. 
Let peoples serve you and nations bow down to you. Be master over your brethren and let your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be those who bless you. Now it happened as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, he thought he was blessing Esau, and Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, that Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. He also had made savory food and brought it to his father and said to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that your soul may bless me. You know, after the blessing was spoken over Jacob and he left his father's tent, it wasn't long before Esau showed up with the real deal, with real deer meat, cooked just the way his father liked it. So in verse 32, let's keep reading. And his father Isaac said to him, who are you? So he said, I am your son, your firstborn Esau. At that moment, Isaac knew that he had been deceived. So what was his reaction? Now, wait a minute, Jacob. Get in here. I take back everything I said. How dare you try to deceive me like that? Esau, come over here. Let's do this thing right. You're the firstborn. Come over here and get your blessing. Let's do this thing again. That's what some of us would say. But that was not the reaction of Isaac at all. And the way he reacted is very telling. It tells us something about how seriously the Hebrew patriarchs took it when they pronounced a blessing. Listen to verse 33. And Isaac trembled very exceedingly and said, Who? Where is he that hath taken venison and brought it to me? And I have eaten of all before thou camest and have blessed him. Yea, and he shall be blessed. And when Esau heard the words of his father, he cried with a great exceeding bitter cry and said unto his father, Bless me, even me also, O my father. And he said, Thy brother came in with subtlety and hath taken away thy blessing. And he said, Is not he rightly named Jacob? For he hath supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he hath taken away my blessing. And he said, Hast thou not reserved a blessing for me? And Isaac answered, listen to this, and said unto Esau, Behold, I have made him thy Lord, and all his brethren have I given to him for servants, and with corn and wine have I sustained him, and what shall I do now unto thee, my son? I want you to catch this drift. I want you to see why he trembled exceedingly. Now, Isaac was one of the patriarchs of the Hebrew people. We would call them founding fathers today. The patriarchs were not only fathers of the faith, but they were fathers of the nation. When they spoke, their word was law. Their blessings carried both legal and spiritual authority. They were more than mere words. God was going to see to it that they came to pass. So what was it that caused the patriarch Isaac to tremble so exceedingly? Listen to me. It was the knowledge that he had spoken the blessing over the wrong son, and it could not be changed. It could not be modified, it could not be altered, and it could not be reversed. It was going to come to pass, and there was nothing he or Esau could do about it. What if we started attaching that kind of gravity and weight to the words that we spoke out of our mouth? Imagine the change we could make in our lives, in our environment. 
Amen. It's a complete paradigm shift that we as the people of God need to make. Amen. Hebrews 11:20 says by faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. So when Isaac spoke that blessing, he spoke that blessing by faith, and once he spoke that blessing, as far as he was concerned, it was going to come to pass. Nothing he could say or do could undo what he had already spoken. We need to have the same confidence when we speak the word of God out of our mouth, when we bless and we pronounce and decree a thing. We need to know that nothing is going to prevent that word from coming to pass. It needs to be a mindset. It needs to be an attitude that the people of God have. God's word is absolute. And when we speak it in our mouth, we echo the words of God. And the Bible says in Psalm 103.20 that angels are released because they hearken to the voice of the word of the Lord spoken by us, the servants of God. Amen. Glory to God. Deuteronomy 30, 19, Moses said to the people of God, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both thou and thy seed may live. Amen. You have the power to bless or to curse with your mouth. Amen. Choose to bless and not to curse. Don't bless one day and then curse the next day and undo what you said the day before. Proverbs 18, 21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. If we really got a revelation of the power, the import, the earth-shattering magnitude of these verses, we'd be a whole lot more careful about the things that we let come out of our mouths. Our words have power for good or for bad. We've been given the power of life and death. We've been given the ability to pronounce a blessing or a curse. And we need to take it seriously. Quit namby-pambying around. You know, the devil's not playing games. If we're going to be successful against all the wiles of the devil, we need to know that when we speak the word of God out of our mouth, it absolutely will come to pass. The second example from Scripture that I'd like to share with you is Daniel in the lion's den. And we're not going to have time to read through all the Scriptures, but we'll read through some of it. Daniel chapter 6. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 princes to be over the whole kingdom. And over these three governors, of whom Daniel was one, that the princes might give account to them so that the king would suffer no loss. Then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and princes because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. And don't you know that that did not go over well with those princes and with those governors. Verse 4 says, So the governors and the princes sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom. But they could find no charge or fault because he was faithful, nor was there any error or fault found in him. He was squeaky clean. Amen. He was just a man of integrity and there was no getting around it. Verse five said, then these men said, we shall not find any charge against this Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. So these 120 princes were seething with jealousy over the favor that Daniel had with the king. So led by the other two governors, 
they conspired together and devised a plan to trick King Darius into signing a decree that anybody that offered up a petition to anybody else besides the king in a 30-day period, he would be thrown into the lion's den. Let's pick it up at Daniel 6, verse 8. Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which does not alter. Therefore, King Darius signed the written decree. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home and in his upper room with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since the early days. I like to think that Daniel went to his upper room and he opened those curtains just a little bit wider than he normally did. And he prayed just a little bit louder than he normally did because he knew he was being watched. And he wanted the people to know that if you give me a choice between my God and my king, I will choose my God every time. It was an act of civil disobedience. King, that's a law I cannot abide by. I cannot follow because my first allegiance is to my God. And of course, these men, verse 11, these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God, and they went immediately and reported it to the king. Verse 14. And the king, when he heard these words, was greatly displeased with himself. He wasn't displeased with Daniel. He was displeased with himself. And set his heart on Daniel to deliver him. And he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. I know he thought, surely there's some loophole in the law that I can exploit to save my friend Daniel. But then these governors and these princes, they came to remind the king here in verse 15. Then these men approached the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and Persians that no decree or statute which the king establishes may be changed. So King Darius had been deceived into painting himself into a corner and he could do nothing to save his friend Daniel. Because of the law of the Medes and the Persians, once he issued a decree, it was not an option for him to change his mind. Even though you've got to know he wanted to. Had he done so, it would have been seen as a sign of weakness and it probably would have cost him the kingdom and it probably would have cost him his life. The only thing that he could do, the only thing that he could do was commit his friend Daniel to the God that he served. And that's exactly what he did. Verse 16. So the king gave the command and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. But the king spoke, saying to Daniel, your God, whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. A pagan king is speaking life. Over Daniel. I find that awesome. Then a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet ring. And with the signet of his lords. That the purpose concerning Daniel might not be changed. I want to go back to verse 16. Because it's so powerful. We see that King Darius spoke the last words that Daniel heard. Before the stone was rolled over the mouth. Of the lion's den. Making it impossible for him to escape. 
He said, your God, whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. I submit to you that he was issuing a decree. And it was just as binding as the one that put Daniel in the lion's den in the first place. Your God, whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. He said, if I can't find a loophole in the first degree that I issued, I can issue another decree and see to it that even though he's in the lion's den, no harm will come his way. I believe at some visceral level, this king knew that he had an authority that he could use, and he decided he would issue another decree. He committed his friend Daniel unto God, and he did it with a spoken decree. Proverbs 8.15 says this, By me kings reign and rulers decree justice. He realized that his authority ultimately came from God. And he decided to issue a decree of justice for his friend Daniel. Amen. Verse 18. Now the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting and no musicians were brought before him. Also his sleep went from him. He didn't get any sleep and he didn't eat anything. He was concerned about his friend Daniel. Then the king rose early in the morning and went in haste to the den of lions And when he came to the den, he cried out with a lamenting voice to Daniel. The king spoke, saying to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth so that they have not hurt me because I was found innocent before him. And also, O king, I have done no wrong before you. Think about that. He committed an act of rebellion, of civil disobedience. He disobeyed the decree of the king. I believe he was saying to the king, listen, king, it's nothing personal. But if you give me a choice between my king and my God, I'm going to choose my God every time. I meant no harm or disrespect to you. And I believe the king knew exactly what Daniel meant. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Listen to me. What have we learned so far? If the word of patriarchs and the word of kings was revered and caused men to tremble and shake and it was considered unalterable, unchangeable and irreversible, how much more the faith-filled words coming from the mouth of spirit-filled men and women of God. We have something they didn't have back then. We've got the indwelling spirit of God on the inside of us. How much more should we be speaking words of faith and power that line up with God's word and line up with his will? So these first stories show us the power that we have when we follow God's example and we speak faith filled words over our lives and our circumstances. Now, I got one more story I'm going to share with you, and it's got a lot of science in it. But I want to spend a few minutes showing you from the scriptures how rock solid the word of God really is. Isaiah says in Isaiah 40, verse 8, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. Amen. David said in Psalm 138, verse 2, I will worship toward your holy temple and praise your name for your loving kindness and for your truth, for you have magnified your word above all your name. God has placed his word above his name because without his word, his name means nothing. 
Hebrews 1.3 in the Amplified says this, the power of the Word of God is upholding and maintaining and guiding and propelling the universe itself. I love that. That's awesome. You may not have heard uh, this fact, but scientists have observed that the universe is expanding. And at the outer edges that we can see, it's expanding near the speed of light. And they do not understand why. So they've come up with this theory called dark energy. Some mysterious, unknown energy is thrusting the boundaries of the universe outward at near the speed of light. So we'll just call it dark energy. We know that it is the power of God's word that's upholding and maintaining and guiding and propelling the universe outward. Amen. Ever since he spoke the universe into existence, it's been expanding outward, in my view. Amen. Cool stuff. God has staked his very name, his kingdom, and the foundations of the universe upon the truth and the integrity of his word. Listen, if his word were to fail, the universe as we know it would collapse immediately. It'd be like that movie with the Avengers where they all turned into flakes of dust. Only not just 50% of the universe would be destroyed. 100% of the universe would be destroyed. None of us would be here. Frightening to think about. But never going to happen because God's word shall stand forever. Amen. Hallelujah. Now, now we can segue nicely into one of the most amazing challenges I have ever found in the word of God. I call it the challenge of Jeremiah. We find it in Jeremiah 33. Let me give you a little bit of background. I was reading the prophet Jeremiah years ago, just reading through it. And trust me, it is a tough book to get through. Because it is doom and gloom and death and destruction prophesied over the nation of Israel chapter after chapter after chapter. But you get to chapter 33 and all of a sudden Jeremiah changes his tone. And he says, in spite of all this devastation that you see, all this death and destruction that you see, in spite of the fact that the Babylonians have crushed Jerusalem and taken away the people captive, even though it looks bleak, one day Jerusalem will be inhabited again. There will be vineyards planted. There will be joy and laughter. There will be weddings hosted. And there will be a king who sits on the throne who's descended from his father David. And he'll sit on that throne in Jerusalem and he'll rule the whole world. And this was such a stark contrast from what they were seeing. He said, okay, listen, if you're having trouble with this, I want to issue you a challenge, and that's where we're going to pick it up here in Jeremiah 33, verse 19. I have never heard anybody preach this but me. I'm sure there are people that have, but I've never heard it. I don't know of anybody else who's noticed this but me, but I'm sure there are. And the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. This is Jeremiah 33, 19. And the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah saying, Thus says the Lord, if you can break my covenant with the day and my covenant with the night, so there will not be day and night in their season, then my covenant may also be broken with David my servant, so that he should not have a son to reign on his throne, and with the Levites, the priests, my ministers. Now, if you do a surface reading, you know, you could just pass right by that and not ask yourself the question, like I did this one day. It just got my attention. It's just like the Holy Ghost said, 
what is the covenant of day and night? And I thought, I better check that out because it's the key to this challenge. Okay, so you find the covenant of day and night in Genesis chapter 8, verse 22. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, and day and night shall not cease. Basically, it means that there will be a continual cycle of day and night as long as the earth remains. So I got to thinking about it. There are two ways that I can think of that would cause the covenant of day and night to cease. Now, stay with me. This may go over some of your heads, but I believe I'll bring it down to a bottom line that you can fasten your faith to. Amen. Number one, you'd have to synchronize the earth's rotational velocity with the velocity of the earth's rotation around the sun so that only one side of the earth faced the sun continually. One side would be eternal day. The other side would be eternal night, kind of like the moon is synchronized with the earth. So we only see one face of the moon at any one time. Okay, there's a, just a couple problems, just a few minor issues with that. In order to make that happen, you would have to slow the rotation of the earth, which at the equator right now uh, rotates at about 1,038 miles per hour. You would have to find a way to slow that rotation speed down to about 3 miles an hour. Given the fact that the earth has a mass of 13 trillion trillion pounds, it's an impossible task. I mean, there's no machine, there's no power, there's no method, there's no process, there's no technology that is known to man that could ever hope to do such a thing to something as massive as the earth. It's impossible. The other alternative is even more daunting. You would essentially have to put the sun in orbit around the earth at a speed that would match the rotational speed of the earth. But there's a few minor problems with that. Number one, the sun is already moving around the center of the Milky Way galaxy at over 500,000 miles an hour. And the earth is revolving around the sun at 67,000 miles an hour. So somebody please tell me how mankind with our current technology or any technology you could ever imagine could ever hope to do such a thing. And that's the point really, isn't it? It's impossible. It cannot be done. I believe God put forth the challenge exactly that way so that men could grasp the absolutely fundamental nature of God's faithfulness to his word and to his covenants especially to the men of this generation, because we have the technology to measure the mass and the speed of heavenly objects. They didn't know how impossible it was, but we know how absolutely impossible it was and is. I don't care how advanced we get in our technology. We're never going to be able to move planets around. It's just not going to happen. You know, so... God made a safe bet. He said, if you can figure out a way to break the covenant of the night and the day, then maybe I'll think about reneging on one of my promises to the people of God. I love that. I love that. Praise the Lord. I believe I got a slide and I, I massacred it, but it was close. If you can do something to break the covenant of day and night that I establish then my covenant with the people of God could be broken. But there's nothing we can do in our own power 
to move the planets around so that we could break the covenant of day and night. It's just not ever, ever going to happen. Amen. Hallelujah. Let me conclude by saying this. We need, as the people of God, we need a deeper revelation of why our words matter. Why our words matter. I said that in Kirk style. We need a deeper revelation of why our words matter. Scotty. You can tell I'm a Star Trek fan. We need a deeper revelation of why our words matter. And you find this concept scattered all through the Bible. It's everywhere. And I'm just scratching the surface this morning. And I wish I could turn this into a series. And if I did, it could probably last for weeks, if not months. But we'll have to save that for a later time. I just wanted to give you one session to make you think about why your words matter. We need to think like Isaac, who shook and trembled at the power and the certainty of his spoken word. We need to think like King Darius and issue decrees that we believe cannot be altered and cannot be changed. So long as they line up with God's word and line up with God's will. As Jeremiah reminds us, we need to know that it is the unalterable unchangeable and irreversible word that governs the motions of the planets and the stars that provides the foundations of the universe itself. When we speak the word, we need to speak it with boldness. We need to speak it with authority. We need to realize that our words can be containers of life or they can be containers of death. We can speak blessing and we can speak cursing. If we as the people of God can ever get a handle on the unshakable nature of God's word and the importance of that word coming out of our mouths with faith and power. We will turn this planet upside down, and I do mean that metaphorically. Amen? Amen. We hope you enjoyed Dr. Forrest's message, Why Our Words Matter. If you're in the Wilmington area and are looking for a place to worship, come join us on Sunday at 9.45 a.m. for coffee and fellowship, and 10.30 for worship and service. If you'd like to learn more about us and access more of Dr. Forrest's teachings, visit our website at gofaithlife.com. Also, visit and like our Facebook page at Faith Life Wilmington. <laughs>